There goes father with his favorite son. I cannot believe he told on us. What's next? Father puts him in charge of the flocks. I will never take orders from Joseph. Principal, he had character and integrity. He was honest. He was tempted at multiple times and he resisted. He thinks he's a star. I will show him how far a star can fall. Humble, the power and prestige of his position working for Pharaoh never changed him. Disciplined, Joseph had a proper long-term perspective. Even while in jail for a crime, he did not commit. Faithfulness, while in jail and throughout all the turmoil, Joseph remained faithful to God and never wavered from his commitment to follow him. Grace, Joseph showed grace and mercy to his brothers, even though he had been sold into slavery. This week on Been Devils, your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time. Awesome. Allow me this evening to teach you a new word for some of you who may be learning English afresh. But this word I came across when I was researching for a team of uh, missionaries I was speaking to uh, concerning not giving up. And I came across this beautiful article by Oswald Chambers. And the word was tenacity. Oswald Chambers has some interesting things to say here. And it's not the same word as endurance. It's only but an explanation or an add-on to the very word endurance. Why are we looking at this? Because Joseph really endured some very, very difficult moments. And this is what Oswald Chambers uh, said. He said, tenacity is more than, it is more than endurance. It is endurance in itself, but it is more than endurance. And what does he mean when he says it's more than? He says, it is endurance combined endurance combined with the absolute certainty that what we are we are looking for is going to transpire tenacity is more than hanging on which may be but the weakness of being too afraid to fall off so you hanging on is just you're too afraid to fall off but also he continues to say that tenacity is the supreme of effort of a man refusing to believe that his hero is going to be conquered the greatest fear a man has is not that he will be damned, but that Jesus Christ will be will be worsted, that the things he stood for, the love and the justice and forgiveness and kindness among men will not win out in the end. The things he stands for look like willow on the whips. Then comes the call to spiritual tenacity, not to hang on and do nothing but to work deliberately on the certainty that God is not going to be worsted. If our hopes are being disappointed just now, it means that they are being purified. There is nothing noble the human mind has ever hoped for or dreamed of that will not be fulfilled. One of the greatest strains in life is the strain of waiting for God. I will repeat that. One of the greatest strains in life is the strain of waiting for God because thou has kept the words of my patience and he picks that from I think Psalm 46 uh, verse 10 but allow me at this point to welcome Mr. John Page uh, to join us as we begin our conversation today concerning the life of Joseph once again you are welcome to Cabin Devils Mr. Page, you're welcome to Cabin Devils this evening. How have you been, sir? 
Hey, it's great to be with you tonight, David, and everyone else. Really appreciate this opportunity. We just want to know just your story, uh, how you came to be. And I do have a profile picture. The one you have now, you have a mask on, a green South African mask. No one gets to see your beard. But your beard is actually gray, and it means that uh, you're just full of wisdom. (laughs) You've seen (laughs) generations come and go. And, but there's a story of, of, of John that we would like uh, to, uh, to just get to know and uh, maybe get acquainted with. And what I'm really looking for in that particular question about the story of John and who you really are is I'm looking for a moment in your life where, should I say, circumstances had the potential of changing who you are but did not what was the turning point again in your life that made all the difference but before you can answer that question there's a more simpler one what is the best piece of advice you've ever received in your whole life share with us first and then share with us your story mr john oh man the best piece of advice that i've ever see received next to the whole story of, of the gospel and trusting christ as my savior um, I can remember mm-hmm. my dad sharing a piece of advice with me, and uh, I, I don't. I think I re- realized that it was profound at the time, but then years later, I learned even more how profound it was. And it was when I was single, and I was obviously mm-hmm. interested at that point in getting married. And he told me this. He didn't tell me a lot. Didn't give me a lot of advice about it, but he did tell me one thing. He said, "Don't get married until you're better off married than not." And I had known at that point that I had been called to ministry. That was very clear, um, God's leading in my life. I didn't know what it was going to be other than that it was going to be involved with youth. And I, I remember kind of thinking like, well, what do you mean don't get married until I'm better off married than not? And then when I met my wife, uh, Christy, and she's been my <laughs> wife now for uh, 28 years, um, I can realize now in ministry, there are so many things that I couldn't do or God hadn't, wouldn't have opened up the opportunities if it was not us as a team, husband and wife. And mm-hmm. so when you look at scripture and even when you look at what Paul says, he says, yeah, there's so many times it's better off to be single because you're not thinking of someone else. Your mind's not divided between protecting family and following God and all these benefits that way. And I realized mm-hmm. many years later that that was the biblical advice that my dad was giving me is don't get married. Um, unless it's God's will and unless you're better off than just being single because you can be single and serve God for many years and it's wonderful. So I'm really thankful for that advice mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for my wife, Christy, being uh, that partner in ministry and partner in our family, partner in everything. And it's been such a blessing over these years. And I can always remember um, thinking as a young man and being married and realizing how you grow together and now not that I'm old. I've got gray hair. I look old, but I'm still not old yet. Uh, we're we're <laughs> barely halfway to 50 years of marriage. Um, but I can remember uh, having a, one of those light bulb moments talking to a young man once. I said, yeah, you either marry wine or you marry cheese. Wine increases hey. with value over time. Cheese gets moldy and you want to throw it out. And uh, my wife mm-hmm. has definitely increased in value over the years. She's just absolutely wonderful. Love her to death. She's so much fun and glad she's a partner in ministry with me. So that's probably the best advice yeah. I ever received in my life. Amen. I mean, I like the way you you just lined it up, especially with the fact that one, apart from the gospel, 
that is one of the best pieces of advice I ever received. Someone once said that uh, these two important decisions in this life and marriage is the second important, the first most important decision is where you spend eternity, and then the second one is where you who you will spend eternity with on this side of earth. I don't know who said that, mm. but it's very very true. Especially very if you true. look at marriage as not a place to go, like a course you will do five years and you're out, but for eternity, at least on this side of the world. But Paige, who is Paige, and how do you come to be? Oh, that's such a wide open question, but I but thanks for that. I I. You know, you look at different defining moments in life, and I've had many of them uh, now that I'm 51. Oh, by the way, in South Africa, now that I'm in, in my 50s, I actually get to jump the queue for the vaccines. I was pretty excited about that. It's the only thing I've been excited about in my 50s, <laughs> is being able to jump the queue for that. Uh, you know, there's, so a guess, name, there's a name for those people? <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. because <laughs> No, we are not. That would mean I was one. <laughs> so I look Wait, back yes. and I and I catch up. I catch these different points in life where um, I don't know. They're they're pivotal points. They're God moments when He's speaking to you, uh, where He's showing you different things. And I I had this friend in uh, high school, actually since we were kids, and in high school and in college. And it was it was at a point in life where it was really trying to determine what did I want to do in the future. Then like the better question, what does God want me to do? What does that look like? Well, this friend uh, was a blast, but every time we got together, we always got in trouble. You ever have a friend like that? You you can be doing what God wants you to do. You get together. Now this friend, when we would get in trouble, he would never get caught. And I always got caught every time mm. since we were like 10. <laughs> I always got in trouble. He never did. And I can remember my mom sharing a verse with me. She said, you know, God disciplines those he loves. And it wasn't that God didn't love my friend. He did. Um, but he was disciplining me and catching me and really controlling things and circumstances to use difficult, what I thought were difficult situations to say, listen, are you going to be serious about me or not? Yes, definitely still have fun, but have mm -hmm. fun in the context of what he writes in scripture. And uh, that was one of those one of those moments that was really, you know, probably played out over a two three year period. But then it, it hit a mm. it hit a decision point, and I realized like, I'm, am I going to continue the friendship? I can continue the friendship, but I no longer can be influenced by it. I need to be an influencer into it because God needs to be more important to me than this this friend, who I think is fun, but we always mm. get in trouble with. Um, and, and I really thank the Lord for that. Looking back on that, my friend, and I still care for him, and he's doing much better now than he did for many years. He's about a year and a mm -hmm. half older than me, uh, but mm -hmm. gone through three different marriages, uh, really messed up at different points in his life, got out of drugs, got back, you know, straightened out, but just really, really difficult. Um, and I look mm -hmm. back now and I go, that was, that was a pivotal point where God was trying to see what my relationship was like with him, with God. And was I just going to be influenced by my friends or was going to really listen to what God wanted me to do? And I could see the different ways paths have played out. Um, God never promises easy, but he does promise good when we follow him. So not to say that my friend's path has been hard and mine has been easy, but they've been so different because the difficulties that I've had to walk through have been with the focus of God and him going with me and not being alone. And that was one of those pivotal points. I was about 21 years old 
And uh, since then, it was very clear that God wanted to be me to be serving him in whatever capacity, whatever location that was going to be. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I just want to also let the listeners know that this, the, the, the title that I sent us on the poster, his environment did not change who he was, does not mean that uh, who we are is not influenced by the things around us or, or what or the life that happens uh, around us. It's it's in very uh, different circumstances that each one of us maybe have come to be, and so those do play uh, in our lives. But who we are in Christ does not change, no matter the circumstances. God has the same expectations of me, a believer in Africa. The same expectations for a believer in South Africa right now who might be dodging bullets and uh, and tear gas from the riots that we are seeing. I know the news makes it look like the whole of South Africa is on fire. But just to say different circumstances and yet God still expects the same from each one of us. And that's going to be our topic, at least the area in which we are going to focus on tonight as we look at the life of Joseph, this young man that remained steadfast that remains steadfast. I've always, I'm always fascinated from a point I came to understand or to realize that uh, Joseph is referred to as a dreamer. And I've mentioned this before on Cabin Devils. Joseph has been referred to as a dreamer, but we have to understand Joseph only dreamt probably once or twice at the beginning of his life. The rest mm. of his life, the rest of his life, he was just hoping for this dream to come true and just living for God and, and being steadfast. And it's interesting. Yes, he did interpret several dreams later on in his life, but him as a dreamer, he had one thing to hold on to. And I want to say it is at that point that his life began to change when he began to tell others about his dreams. The brothers became jealous and they said, you know what, this is it, let's get rid of him. Actually, the plan was to sell him, I mean to kill him. And they say, okay, let's not kill him. Let's put him away for a while. I'm sure all of you guys have read that story and how the turn of events happen. And we're going to begin our time together and see what principles we can learn from this. And I'm really looking forward to Friday. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you because I think it's going to be personal for me on Friday when we talk about family. And I know most of you who have family members uh, that there might be issues there. Um, or family backgrounds that were dysfunctional like mine, it's going to be an interesting one uh, to look at this coming Friday. Uh, but John, allow me to pray with you, and then you can take us through our time together this evening. Father, we thank you uh, for John Page, who is willing and ready to just uh, spend time with us in, in, in teaching and encouraging us uh, this evening. We pray, Lord, that we will look at life the same way you do, that even what seems to be evil, uh, we'll see you and your working through it. When men mean it for evil, may we see your hand because you always mean good for us. You don't bring evil always for just. But Lord, you allow it to happen for our purification. And we pray that the same way Joseph stood steadfast, that we too will remain firm in our walk with you. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Mr. John Page, you're welcome. Hey, thanks so much. And I really am 
looking forward to being here with you guys and, and gals, men and women on these three evenings or whenever you may download the podcast. And we're looking at the life of Joseph, not an uncommon story, but probably one of my favorite, if not one of my top five favorite stories when it comes to scripture. Uh, not a story that's fictional, it's a story that's true, but there is so much depth in the context for us is Africa, which is great. Majority of his life growing up in uh, Egypt, going from the land of Canaan, being sold, as David mentioned, um, to a, a caravan passing by his brothers and brought to the land of Egypt. But Joseph has got so much depth. He's one of the characters that I study for a few weeks every year because it's so practical, not in just what we see in his life, but in how it needs to apply into my life. Uh, not just as I walk with other young men, uh, but for me as a not so young man anymore, uh, these qualities of Joseph are ones I constantly need to look at, I need to safeguard against, I need to be aware of, um, and I need to be trying to grow and asking God to help grow me in these different areas. If, if you just look at the qualities of Joseph, and we're going to uh, walk through a couple of different aspects on these three different nights with uh, talking about his environment tonight, his position on Wednesday, and his family history on Friday. Uh, we're going to kind of jump in at Genesis chapter 37. There's no way that we can discuss everything in these three evenings. So I would love to encourage you, uh, if you haven't looked at the story of Joseph, don't just go by your memory, uh, but grab your Bible or grab your Bible app jump into Genesis chapter 37 and read through 5051 and to really refresh yourself with so many of the details that I know as a young person I was told these details um, but I just missed them for some reason and as I rehearse them again and again there's so many deep deep truths that are applicable to all of us around the world but even here in Africa when we look at some of the context we can understand what Joseph was going was going through what he was being brought through intentionally. And we'll see some of that tonight and Wednesday night. Uh, but just, you know, just kind of a quick overview. I jotted down a number of qualities as I was studying over these last couple of weeks. Um, and, and this is not an exhaustive list, but a number of first things that come to mind. Joseph was principled. Um, if, we, if we were to look at one characteristic overall, we'd have to choose the word integrity. And he lived out and showed us not perfection, but he showed us what it was to be a man or a woman of integrity. He was humble. He was disciplined. Uh, faithfulness was another quality. Grace, competence, wise, strategic. Um, he, was, he was a strategic planner. And we're going to look at this on Wednesday. When you look at, uh, you, you mentioned it, David, which is great. He's known as a dreamer. And a dreamer might be a visionary or somebody who thinks about different things and just has ideas, but he was strategic because he literally, from, from God, shared with Pharaoh what they needed to do for the famine that was going to come up that we're going to see on, on Wednesday. And then he said, we're going to have seven years of plenty. And it was interesting to me because obviously he's very African at this, at this time in his life and living in Egypt. He, he planned for the seven years and saved for the seven years in order to survive in a well and a very um, successful way for Egypt and the entire region for seven years of famine. 
Uh, so you talk about him being a dreamer is what we always talk about, but he was really a strategic planner when it came to administration and helping to run that part of the government. But we're going to jump into some of that Wednesday. Uh, but those those principles just stand out, those qualities. Principled, humble, disciplined, faithful, gracious, competence, wise, and strategic. And we'll see how those weave into the story. You're probably already, a number of the things are already standing out in your mind because it is a common story that many people are familiar with. But it begins in Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to get into actually some of the history and that family connection on Friday. But we jump right into the story in Genesis chapter 37, where uh, Joseph was raised. It says he was the favorite amongst his brothers. He had the 11 different brothers uh, in total. He was uh, number 10. Number 11 is going to come along after him. And, and you see in the story where his father uh, sends him off to catch up with his brothers. Now, he was younger. He was of a different wife. Um, it was her first child that came to Jacob older in his in his years. If you read the passage and you see the name Israel, don't be confused. If you remember uh, the story, I think it was around Genesis 31, Genesis 32, where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord and his name is given to him of Israel, the father of nations, Jacob, Israel. It's the same person. And that's what I love about the story. You almost have to sit down. For me, I had to sit down with a notebook and kind of mind map out all these different family connections and story connections. And when they go to a place, what's the significant? And we're not going to have time to get into all of that, but I really want to encourage you too, because it's a fascinating, this story, if it hasn't come to life for you before, will come to life the more you study and the more you dig. And I don't think you could ever stop digging in this story. So he's sent by his father to his brothers on an errand. And it's interesting um, because he's taken into captivity at the age of 17, and we're just about there. So he's either 16, 17 years old at this time. It's a big deal. He's the favorite. You remember he's had the dream, and he told his brothers the dream, which was a big mistake, especially when you're the younger one telling all of your brothers, hey, someday you're all going to bow down to me. Uh, that didn't set well. But it was more than just a jealousy thing, as we see, because you can see the hatred that takes place but look at, look at Joseph's character as he starts out, because the, it says the dad was going to send him on a journey. And that was a big deal for this young Jewish boy to be sent on a journey. And he said, Father, I'm ready to go. I'm excited to go. And his dad tells him to where to go to, to find his brothers. And he, he starts out on this journey. He's being very obedient to his dad. And uh, his dad send, sends him where he needs to go. Verse 14 of chapter 37, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron where they lived and he sent him to Shechem. And a man found him there wandering the field and asked him, what are you looking for? Verse 16, he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Joseph said, can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? And, and it's interesting to me because it's just a little detail but here's a 16, 17-year-old young man whose dad sends him on a mission, and he says, I want you to go find your brothers at Shechem. These are the brothers that hated him. But he willingly obeys his dad because obedience was more important than the way he felt or the way his brothers felt about him. But look at what he does in obedience. He doesn't just follow the specific or the letter of what his dad asked him to do, because his dad says, go find your brothers at Shechem. He could have gone back home. Hey, dad, I went 
to find my brothers where you told me they were and they weren't there and I'm back here. If, if I knew the 10, the nine other brothers that I was going to see hated me, I would have had any excuse in quick reason to justify going back to dad's house. Remember, in dad's house, I'm the favorite. I wasn't sent out to work with all my brothers, but I was given the, the favorite sun jacket, the coat of many colors, the designer jacket that stood me out in front of all of my family so that not only did they think I was the favorite, they knew I was the favorite. But Joseph doesn't do that because obedience to him is not the letter of the law. Obedience is the heart of what his dad wanted him to accomplish. What did his dad want him to accomplish? It wasn't about the location. It was about finding his brothers. And so in verse 17, the man says, I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dotham. He continued to the obedience of what his dad intended. I want you to find my sons. And that was more important to Joseph than to showing up to a bunch of guys and having an excuse to getting out of an environment where he was hated. And we know he was hated because his brothers, as soon as they see him coming, it says they plotted to kill him when they saw him in the distance. So this isn't just a set of brothers that hated him. This was a set of brothers that hated to the point of murder. That's a deep hatred. Joseph, knowing that he was the favorite of his fathers and he was the least favorite of all of his brothers, they might have not gotten along with each other. They might have fought and wrestled uh, typically like strong men would do. But with David, they hated him where they plotted to kill him. Reuben hears, hears this in verse 21 and he uh, tried to save him. He said, let's not, let's not take his life. Uh, don't shed his blood. Let's just put him in the pit in the wilderness and it was interesting because you can see their hate. They throw him in the pit and they go have supper, not giving him anything, but eating supper, taking care of themselves, their callousness while he was thrown in a pit. And Reuben, who's looking out for him, leaves. And uh, all of a sudden there comes camels carrying uh, a, a group in a caravan, verse 25 and verse 26. And they were carrying aromatic gum and balsam and resin. And they were headed down to sell all of their goods in Egypt. And Judah pipes up and says to his brothers, well, what do we get if we kill Joseph and cover up his blood? They were going to take the coat, remember, and kill a, a lamb. And, and they were going to uh, kill him. But then they decided to sell him and they would kill a lamb or a goat and put the blood on this favored jacket, the status jacket that Joseph had to bring it back to their dad and just to say that he had been killed. And they sell him. They sell him. Do, do you understand that hatred these brothers had for Joseph? It's one thing to hate. It's, it's something to disown or try to kick somebody out of your family and say, you're dead to me. It's another thing to plot their death. But realizing they would gain nothing out of death, they chose to sell him so they could buy some airtime for that month. That month, Maybe they all wanted a, an unlimited WhatsApp bundle because it wasn't a large amount, but it was enough that they sold him. And you're going to see time and time again in the story of Joseph, as you read and study it, the type of Christ 
that we see in Joseph. Because you remember Jesus Christ was also sold for the price of a slave. Well, it's interesting. Instead of being killed, he's sold. Now he's taken to a different country. He's no longer in the land of Canaan, but he's brought by the caravan to Egypt and he's sold as a slave or as a servant, which is a nicer word, but he was sold as a slave in Africa, in Egypt. And slavery brings up so much hurt. Maybe not for our generation, but the generation before us here in Africa, definitely. And we know the scars of that. And slavery is not something new. It's been going on forever. And we know the horribleness of it. But look, as you read the story at how God used these circumstances in an incredible way. And part of the incredible way we're going to see on Wednesday. So stick with us. Grab your Bibles. Read this story because we're not making this up. It's actually better than any uh, any movie Hollywood script could ever write when you look at a dysfunctional family and the functioning grace with which Joseph lived and allowed others to live. So instead of being killed, he's sold as a slave. He goes down to Egypt. He's, he's forced down to Egypt, sold on the slave market, happens to be bought by Potiphar, who is the most powerful man in the army taking care of Pharaoh, who was in charge of Egypt and the entire land. So he's not just bought as a slave for anybody. He's bought for the second most powerful person in the country. And it's interesting, as you as you follow along in the circumstances here, um, you, you jump through a story of Judah and Tamar in verse 38, and there's a lot in that story to talk about the unaction and the silence that Jacob as the dad had. And we see this again and again. Even when Joseph was hated by his brothers, Jacob never stepped in and taught the brothers that that was wrong. He just kind of allowed it to exist. He, He more than allowed it to exist. He encouraged by visibly showing his love and favoritism towards Joseph. Well, anyway, the hatred ends up where Joseph is now as a slave in Potiphar's house. And it's interesting, if you look at that, chapter 39, uh, verse 1 and 2 and 3, it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. So he sold at the age of 17, and he stands out in however many short period of time, a number of years, he stands out amongst all the other slaves to be the top slave. When his master saw, it says verse 3, when the master saw that the Lord, and that's in capital L-O-R-D in my English Bible, that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Remember, he's in a foreign field. Egypt worshipped thousands of different gods not God Almighty, not Yahweh, not the Lord Jehovah. And so here Joseph is, basically, he didn't just get sold as a slave. He got sent out as a missionary, undercover. The only way into this country was to be bought as a slave, and that's where Joseph ends up. And remember, we know the end of the story of Joseph, how God's going to use him, but Joseph doesn't know that. He knows there's a dream but he doesn't know the circumstances around it. I think I would have spent a number of years in Egypt being bitter, feeling sorry for myself, 
having pity on my circumstances, changing and adapting into a foreign land with a foreign language and foreign food and foreign gods. But Joseph didn't do that because his character and integrity, even as a young man, when it wasn't perfect, when it wasn't always right, was still rooted in a relationship to God. So much so that Potiphar doesn't say, hey, this Joseph's a hard worker. He says, I can not only see what he does, I see his God, Jehovah, making him successful. Joseph works his way up from being just a common, poor, strong, but young slave to being the head of all the other servants in his household, to becoming the personal attendant of Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his house, everything that he owned was under the authority of Joseph. That is the level of integrity and character and competence that Joseph showed. And it's interesting, verse 6 says, he left all that he owned, Potiphar left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Can you imagine being the second most powerful person in the country and the only thing you have to worry about is what you want for breakfast or what you want for dinner because Joseph, this slave who you bought and now you own has such character and such competence, even though he is showing that he is serving a different God than what you believe in, you trust him with everything. Now, Joseph, where he was from and there in verse six, it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. And so here you have a person who was hated by his brothers. And instead of being killed, he was sold. He's bought as a slave. He worked his way up to being the number one slave in the household, has anything that he wanted at his fingertips. And now the boss's wife says, please, I want to have a relationship with you. And he refused. Time and time again, he refused. Now, if you, we all understand uh, in South Africa, we would call it labola. You might call it dowry or bride price. If you're the second most powerful man in a nation, your wealth is right up there amongst the top 10 as well. And so when you go looking for a wife, you are looking for a very valuable wife. Because to afford Lobola would not be an issue for you. You could afford any wife that you wanted to. That's who Potiphar's wife is. And she says to Joseph, come sleep with me. She says it again and again and again, not just once, but again and again. Joseph's response to her is incredible because you have to realize that Joseph took a decision before he was ever forced to take a decision. Because in the moment that he had to make a decision, he didn't know if he would be strong enough to make that decision. I hope you're following what I'm saying. He decided before he was ever tempted that being obedient to God was more important than 10 minutes or 15 minutes of enjoyment for himself sexually. He says in this question, when he refuses her, it's interesting where the, the boss Potiphar puts him in charge because he can see God, he can see L-O-R-D, Yahweh, in charge of his life. And here in the same situation, he has the exact same conversation with the wife. He refused. He said, look, in verse 8, he said to the master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. 
He has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil in sin against God? He doesn't even say sin against you, sin against my boss. It's all about his relationship with God. And verse 10 says, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. You know the rest of the story. Joseph finally leaves with his character in check, but with his coat in her hand. And when the boss, when Potiphar returns, she lies. And if you're a husband, you're probably going to believe your wife. And when she lies and says, look what you've done, you've brought this slave. Now she doesn't call him handsome and beautiful and my young, my young friend and all these flattering words. She says, you brought this horrible slave. And she uses such a derogatory term. He said, and look what he tried to do to me. And Potiphar in his anger throws Joseph into prison. And it's interesting. Joseph is lied about but he never defends his character. Isn't that an incredible lesson? Too many times I can get wrapped up in trying to defend character, but when character is real, it doesn't need to be defended, even if people don't see it and don't know it. So now you, you, you see Joseph's circumstances. He goes from being a favored son to a hated brother to a sold slave. Can he get any worse than that? Because he worked himself up to be the top slave, even though he was a slave. And now he's a prisoner. And he's in prison because he was lied about. His boss is furious and sends him where all the king's prisoners were confined. So he's sent to the maximum security political prison where you could be held in Egypt. And in verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. Does that not blow your mind? Here is Joseph, and we know he's going to be an incredible leader. He's going to lead the entire country of Egypt, but he's a foreigner, And here right now, that's the end of the story, but here right now he's in prison. It kind of went from bad to worse to really, really worse because he's thrown into prison. But it's incredible because character continues to shine. Faithfulness to God, integrity, humility. Because even in prison, Joseph just does what Joseph does. And he continues to be a testimony for God. And the warden, who's also an Egyptian, says, this is incredible. There's something different about this. And he acknowledges not that there's just something different, but that it is God Almighty is what is different in his life. And now Joseph becomes the head prisoner. This guy cannot get out of leadership. It's an incredible journey to read about but it's one that none of us would ever choose to go and experience. If someone were to come to me and say, hey, I'm gonna make you in charge of all of South Africa, or I'm gonna make you in charge of all of Rwanda, or all of Uganda, you're gonna be the next president. Would you be interested? Possibly, but what if they laid out what the training program was gonna look like? 
See, we're going to see on Wednesday that at 30 years of old, Joseph is finally freed from prison. Remember how old he was when he was sold into slavery from his brothers? He was 17. 13 years. Would you be willing to study in the university of slavery, in the university of being a prisoner, in order for your character to be continually to be developed See, we talk about Jacob a little bit as a father, and he was way too inactive into his boys' lives. He was passive. He just allowed things to happen. God knew that he needed to be intentional in Joseph's life in order to build character. Character doesn't happen through a life of ease. Character doesn't happen when everything goes the way you think it should go. When circumstances work out well, character happens through difficulty. Somebody has once said, God never wastes pain. Warren Wearsby put it this way, and I think it's incredible how he worded this. He said, God used three disciplines in Joseph's life very clearly to develop him into the leader that could lead a nation. First of all, it was the discipline of service. He learned humility. He learned the importance of obeying orders. He no longer wore the favored son's coat because as a slave, you do whatever your master says. As a prisoner, you do whatever the warden says. The second, first of all, was the discipline of service. Second was the discipline of self-control. Potiphar's wife, probably the most beautiful woman or the second most beautiful woman in all of Egypt, says, come to bed with me. Too often times as men, when you're faced in a situation with a woman, if the woman says no, you don't. If she says yes, you do. Here's the woman saying yes, and Joseph chose not to because obedience to God was more important. He didn't say everybody's doing it. He didn't use the excuse, I'll lose my job if I don't. But his response was, how could I sin against God? Joseph made a decision before he had to make a decision in the middle of circumstances. See, his environment didn't change who he was. If he was a slave, he was still a servant of God. If he was a prisoner, he was a servant of God. If he was being lied about by the boss's wife, he was still a servant of God. So Warren Wiersbe says the first discipline was the discipline of service where he learned humility. The second discipline was the discipline of self-control. And the third discipline was the discipline of suffering. As a slave, as a prisoner, suffering is not enjoyable, but it's necessary. When he was 17 years old, he was sold as a slave, and not until he turns 30 does he, be get, does he get to the point where he's freed from prison. Hatred from family, people being mad at each other, is something that can be common, but as parents, we have that opportunity to teach that we are all creatures created by God for a purpose. And when you're hating someone, you're hating someone who was created by God. Hatred destroys. We see that right now in South Africa. Every time we make the news in Africa, we kind of uh, shrug because we wonder if it's something good or something bad and riots and destruction and people dying is never something good. Hatred should never lead to those actions. But forgiveness needs to be taught. Slavery is horrible, but Joseph allowed those circumstances to grow him 
he changed for the better, not for the worse. So it's interesting. In conclusion, we're going to wrap up, and I'd love to see some of your comments here that you have, you guys have posted, and some of the summary statements too. And I really want to encourage you to jump in and read this because Wednesday we're going to look at an incredible aspect of not just the suffering side, but the success side, and how Joseph continues not to change in his character and his integrity. I like how one author put it. When they talk about Joseph, they said he was chosen and rejected. He was chosen by God and rejected by his brothers. He was loved and hated. He was loved by his father and mother and hated by brothers and others. He was favored and abused. He was betrayed and rescued. Circumstances did not cause him to take his eyes off the Lord. When people saw him as the head slave or as the head prisoner, they didn't see Joseph. They saw the Lord. Could you or I say that? If my circumstances change, am I quick to complain? Definitely. And that's not right because I might be missing the opportunity of seeing the circumstances that God brought into my life to change me and to gain him more glory and honor and love from those around. So the environment, and they were harsh environments from a pit. Joseph went from having the favored coat of many colors to being thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, lied about, sold into prison. And he never changed in his, in his character and his integrity. Wednesday, when we get together Wednesday night, we're going to look at his his promotion out of prison and the power that comes with that promotion. Because see, the one side of all these circumstances, you could I could justify Joseph complaining and changing. But what about the other side? What about the wealth and the popularity? We know in Africa, so often people start out as incredibly humble servants. But when given power and when given money, the temptation to change becomes more than when we had nothing. And let's continue to follow Joseph's life through both extremes and to see how God continues to be honored and glorified. So hopefully tonight was a little bit of an encouragement to you as you hear a common story about someone that had uncommon character that God put into scripture, not to show us somebody perfect, but to show us somebody real. And he says to every one of us that we can be that man or that woman of integrity. The qualities, he's principled, he's humble, he's disciplined, faithful, gracious, competent, forgiving, wise, strategic. These are characteristics that every one of us needs to desire in our lives. Not so we get the glory, but so that God gets the glory. So, David, thanks so much for letting me be with you guys tonight. And I went a little bit long. Sorry, there's so much to talk about here. And I just get excited about this life because there's so many things that apply in my context and hopefully in your context from the study of the life of Joseph. Thank you so much, Paige. Um, before you go, I do have a couple of questions for us to just be able to think through as we come to the end of our time uh, here. But thank you. I mean, like you said, there's no Hollywood script uh, that can have the same meaning to life as, uh, 
as what we see in the scriptures, but particularly in the life of Joseph. Because I want to believe that each one of us present tonight has a point in Joseph's story where we kind of share um, some similarities or circumstances. Um, I want to say personally that uh, I was dad's favorite in so many ways. Um, you may not believe this, but a couple of years ago, without mentioning my age, when dad left home, there's what we call, I don't know what it's called in South Africa or other countries, but we call it kameza here in Uganda. Usually there's a small mm. uh, stool or a small table in the bedroom where the husband is meant to leave some money uh, that is supposed to take the family through the day. And there were days my dad left no money on that table, <laughs> but he left me money for snack. And so the rest of the family had to figure out how they're going to handle life, and I wasn't figuring out anything because I was sorted. And sometimes my money was used to buy the tomatoes for the day. You will not believe. I was dad's favorite. And mm. it's, and I, I, I know exactly, not exactly, but I kind of get a feeling of what Joseph went through. Of course, my hatred was, I mean, the hatred for my siblings did not get to the point of being sold or anything close to that. Uh, it was one of those things of you cannot play with us, go play somewhere else. And being mm -hmm. the last born, it happens to, to most of us. But Paige, you know, when you were speaking, I, my mind went wild uh, a little bit because even this evening, Grace and I were having a similar conversation and she asked a question, uh, we're talking about something, and she asked a question, where, where did your life change? How come you had some sort of very difficult family background and what happened? And I tried to trace it back through high school and, of course, the World of Life camp in 2003. That was a major impact in my life. But even before that, I began to realize, hey, we had the small groups at church. There was some sort of life impact there. Uh, friends. I do remember Gilbert was a very close friend of mine who shared values uh, similar to, <laughs> not similar, but almost the same friend you had. We were... We were not mm. notorious together. Once we jumped over a world of life <laughs> fence, um, the gate was locked, and we jumped over, got inside to find out exactly what was happening. Thomas comes, and he finds us inside. He says, how did you get in here? And we said, <laughs> comfortably, we jumped. <laughs> so we, we kind of got in trouble together with, uh, with Gilbert. Now, all of this background to say, and I, I don't know if you can support my statement, the, the conclusion I made here. I, I, I said, no matter where we are at in life, whether children, um, God has given us what we need to be the best versions of what God wants us to be. Knowing that Joseph left his house at a very young age, but he had these principles engraved in his heart that even a change of location, a change of family in courts with no one to hold him accountable, he remained faithful. I wanted to say he learned these things in Sunday school, but there was no Sunday school. But he learned some <laughs> of these principles at a very, very young age. I don't know. Um, I don't think we have. I think as we go in life, yeah. what, one, of your good, one of your good friends, Ray Pritchard, put it this way. Because uh, we see in Joseph's life growth, and God used mm. the circumstances to grow him. But I can remember Ray Pritchard, I'm pretty sure it was Ray Pritchard, said, most of us like progress, we don't like growth. 
So if I get the favorite coat from dad, I want the favorite coat and the favorite car. If I live in dad's house, I want my own apartment, then I want my own house. That's progress. Growth does not always look like progress. And God uses growth, God uses circumstances to grow us the way Mm. he wants. I have a wife, then I have a child. I have two children. Uh, I have a, I, I take a Boda and then I'm able to take a Uber and then I'm able to own my own car. And I thought when Ray said that, you're right, he was right, because so many times I look at what I would consider progress mm. and I ask God for progress in my life. But when I say growth, I'm not always willing to accept the circumstances that he sends my way that are necessary through mm. those difficult pressure times to really grow into the character that he's trying to develop. I think that you're looking at my notes right now because it's similar to the second question I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> why? Because the question I have here is, what if Joseph had died in prison? A thought mm. that we should be satisfied in glorifying God, not necessarily that our circumstances have changed. Of course, we know how Joseph's story ends, but what if he had died in prison as the leader of the prisoners? Uh, I think even in looking at this topic today, the emphasis is in the fact that the environment did not change who he was and who he is, is that man of integrity, that no matter the circumstances, I mean, I like to put the question this way, what if he had died on the cross as a thief? You understand, for the life of Christ, uh, as an example. Because at the end of Christ's life, we see even the disciples have given up all hope. This is it. This is the end. Circumstances never change. Because they kept asking him, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom? And I just thought we should be able to re-emphasize that and maybe answer Era Chirabo's question, which is in the chat uh, below, in trying to have the two together. Uh, Does going through a hard life guarantee growth and a better tomorrow. What is the better tomorrow defined as biblically? Um, because circumstances may not change. Does that mean that we're not living right? Does that mean there's a mistake we've made? Try to reconcile the two, uh, page for us before we come to the end. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think that's where, in my humanness, I often get trapped. Because if I were to put myself in Joseph's shoes and I'd worked my way up to be the top slave, when the mistress, when the, the my master's wife came and said, go to bed with me, I could have justified and said, I'm a slave. I'm just being obedient to what my master's wife says. I'll go to bed with her. But he took obedience to the level where it wasn't about just obeying man, but it was more important to obey God, regardless of the consequence. If he had gone to bed with the boss's wife, she would have guaranteed him a position forever because she would have had control over him. The boss already liked him where now he was not just the head slave. He was a personal assistant. Those were fantastic circumstances. He could have tried to write the story and say, see, I was just being obedient to who God put in charge over me and my circumstances worked out well. Instead, he chose obedience from God, absolute truth, when the consequence was at bare minimum, he would get fired. But what happened to him is he got thrown into prison. So the question is great. Does going through a hard life guarantee growth? 
if we're obedient to God and we accept the lessons that he puts in front of us, he will grow us. If you think of any soccer player with the Ugandan cranes or with the the sevens rugby uh, players there, the fitness and training that they go through is incredibly hard in order for them to succeed as an athlete. Now, the second part of the question, is it for a better tomorrow? And David, you're absolutely right as you hinted that in the question, our better tomorrow is not guaranteed here on earth because Mm -hmm. God says this is not our permanent home, but heaven, and, and we've had, all of us have had a friend that has passed away during this time of COVID, whether it was from COVID or something else in this last year, all of us know multiple people that have passed away. And if they're a child of God, we miss them dearly But we never desire to take them away from heaven because heaven is so much better than anything here on earth. So obedience to God, being a child of God, uh, being obedient doesn't just make you a child of God. You need to believe. But being a child of God does guarantee a better tomorrow. But tomorrow is not here on earth, most likely. Tomorrow is eternity with God in heaven where we're not separated from the creator of the universe. And yes, it does require going through a difficult time to help us to grow in stature and in character to become more like Christ. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to bed, you you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils, Devils. your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.